spreading the love of Argentine football across the Atlantic. This is Hand of Pod. to the fifth episode of Hand of Pod, the final one for 2010. I'm Sam Kelly and I'm recording from leafy North Somerset, which is not very leafy at the moment actually, it's mostly just very cold and dark and grey. Fortunately the two Dans are still back in Buenos Aires, sampling some of the wonderful life out there, and they've got a tamed Independiente fan with them uh, for the week. So say hello to the two Dans and to Fran, our guest for this week. Hello. Hello guest. Hey there. Nice to, to be speaking to you all. And it's a very, very peculiar <laughs> experience to be to be doing this over Skype and, and trying to uh, kind of keep it all together and, and record it all from a separate continent from you lot. So, Good. You're on a, on a beautiful warm day here in Buenos Aires, Sam. All right, it's actually evening now. The sun's just yeah. going down. It's lovely, warm. We've got a nice cold um, beer on the guy and it's, it's heaven. Oh, good, thank you. I, I don't envy you at all. I'm, I'm here with a pint of very nice Somerset cider, actually, so I'm, I'm happy enough, but I do wish it was a bit warmer. The reason that this is final edition of 2010 is that, of course, the Torneo Apertura ended on, on Monday, yesterday as we're recording, and um, Estudiantes de la Plata on Sunday won the title. So we're going to be looking back on the Apertura, particularly on the last two rounds of it, which... Uh, the two rounds that have been played since our last episode, midweek last week and then this weekend just gone. As well as, obviously, with Fran, our Independiente fan, looking back on Independiente's Copa Sudamericana triumph. But the big winners from the last two rounds have been Estudiantes, of course. They've been imperious. They, they've scored six goals and conceded none since we last spoke to you. They beat River 4-0 away in La, El Monumental, which a lot of you have heard us talking about how disappointing River have been all season, but... They were unbeaten in the Monumental up to that point, believe it or not. And then they got a 2-0 win on the last day at home to Arsenal de Sarandi at home in Quilmes, which was enough to hand them the title, even though Vélez also got a 2-0 win away to Racing. Australian Dan, I believe that you were at the, the River Estudiantes game last Wednesday, weren't you? Yeah, it was a, again, it was a very hot day. I think I got sunstroke because I was sitting in the sun for about four hours. I got there nice and early because I knew the ground would be packed. And no, it was... For me, it was sort of a, almost a, like a microcosm of the season. I mean, you've got the Estudiantes, um, supposedly a, a small team, according to a, a lot of people you talk to, visiting one of the, the grandes of, of Argentine football, going to their own uh, their own stadium, and they, they just absolutely dismembered them. They they took them apart. It, it wasn't particularly pretty. The Estudiantes have played some, some nice football this year, but in this game, it was like they, they didn't need to. They, they just kind of took River apart. They, they scored four times these situations I think and it was it was like the opposite of what you would ex- expect uh, according to sort of the traditions of, of Argentine football where where this so-called small team going to one of the big team stadiums and just kind of lording over them for me it was a it was a good kind of indication of how the season has gone because Velez of course the other so-called not quite grande team <laughs> uh, as well have been have been really good this year and whereas River Boca 
River haven't done too bad in the end. They finished fourth. They strung a few wins together at the end there, but still, uh, no, nobody else is really anywhere near near those two teams. And deservedly, they, they finished one and one and two. And I think there was quite a, quite a gap of something like 11 points back to third place. Yeah, I think I have to agree with Dan for most of what he said. I don't think that Estudiantes winning was the most popular outcome of the Apertura. They've got a reputation of, I don't know, being not particularly negative, but not this kind of free-flowing, flair Argentine team that everyone likes to see. Although I think that's got a lot to do with the status they have as a not-so-big team, I'm sure. If River or Boca won the league playing in a similar style, everyone, everyone would be raving about how wonderful they played and how brilliant they were. But Yeah, you know, to me, actually, all that, that kind of... Uh backlash to me that's based precisely on that the fact that they're not a, a big team uh, and kind of bitter yeah. Boca and River fans just sort of not happy that, that they're, made, they're being made to look small whenever they play someone like Estudiantes. And they definitely did I remember obviously River got absolutely dismantled by Estudiantes and I remember Boca again looked very poor when they played them and lost and I believe I can't I wouldn't Bet my mum's luck on this, but I believe that Estudiantes beat every single one of their did, supposed yeah. five grandes, which in that itself, was... you know, says how effective the team is, how brilliant the tactician Sorella is. Yeah, uh, I was just writing a story about that today, and, and yeah, I, did, I checked up on that, and they did. They beat every one of them, and for me, that's probably the reason why they deserve the title a little bit more than, than Vélez, even though Vélez probably played um, prettier football this year. Estudiantes beat as uh, Dan said, every one of the, the grandes. When they slipped up, it was against little teams. It was more like a lack of concentration more than anything. They lost against all the boys and Quilmes, was it? A tigre? Tigre, yeah. Tigre. Um, yeah, whereas Vélez, Vélez slipped up in the, in the Bomanera and I, I don't think they had such good results against bigger teams. So for, for me, for that reason, Estudiantes are deserved winners. But I think also we can't take any way, anything away from Vélez because they finished with about 43 points, which in almost any year it would be enough to win you the title. It's just because this Estudiantes team came along and just dropped points. Yeah, and they had a they had a fantastic duo up front as well. As we mentioned, of course, in previous weeks, Santiago Silva and Juan Manuel Martinez. In fact, we mentioned just last week that they look like finishing first and second in the, the top scorers charts, and that's what's happened. Although one of Tigres, is it Straquilotzi, has finished level second with, with Martinez. But Martinez, for me, for the goal he scored on Sunday, he deserves the kind of extra half goal to take him up into second anyway, because it was... Dan, were you at the game? It, it was against Racing, wasn't it? Fortunately, yeah, I was at the game, and you just, we just couldn't really believe what was going on. He picked up the ball completely innocuously in midfield, and he just seemed to skate past everyone. Um, Racing players were flying in, and, <laughs> you know, trying to do whatever they could, but he just, you know... Tried to pass quite happily, knocked it past Oliveira. Obviously, the Villas fans were delighted, and I almost wanted to clap, but I thought <laughs> probably not worth getting my head kicked in. But I appreciated the goal. Yeah, we, we talked about Ajala, was it last week or two weeks ago? And I, I've heard some some nothing fans uh, laying the blame on Ajala for that part of that goal because he was one of the ones who just sort of didn't tackle. Well, yeah. Him. Well, so one one seventh of it was his fault then. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. It was one of the seven players. It, it was a messy like goal. It, it was most, most bizarre. Just not the kind of goal that we're used to seeing. And uh, well, from anybody apart from a handful of players at the, in the very top leagues in the world, really, it was, it was brilliant. When I heard about it before I saw it, because I was watching the well, I watched the second half of the Estudiantes game. The first half I wasn't able to catch. But when I actually saw it, it was it was breathtaking. And can I point out that Messi never did that in Argentina? So, <laughs> you know, Martinez and Messi. Where do you <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a very, very valid point. 
Uh, Fran, I was just wondering what you think about uh, Estudiantes as champions, Vélez second place. Uh... Estudiantes is, uh, I think Vélez and Estudiantes are two examples of what uh, Argentinian clubs should do. They invest in their young players, they, they uh, work very hard on that. They don't bring like big stars to play for one tournament and then they just fade away. I, I think that's the example all of the other teams should try to follow. Uh, Estudiantes is pretty big in La Plata. It's, it's not big in Buenos Aires because uh, Estudiantes is from, from another city that is like 100 kilometers from Buenos Aires, which is called La Plata. They're big in there. It's not like they're real big, but they're a good team there. Uh, they're bigger than the rival, which is uh, Gimnasia. Right. And they play very well. I, I, like, I like what happened with Verón. Verón is uh, it's also an example of, of what every fan would like for, for their local team. Yeah, uh, it's a big player that comes back after playing in Europe for like what ten years. Yeah, or, or and they go room, back yeah. to Estudiantes. Yeah, the team they love. Yeah, no, you're completely right. Veron, he didn't play every game this year, but when he was on the pitch, you saw the difference in Estudiantes. Um, he gets the ball in midfield, kind of. His his domain is the is the centre circle. He controls the centre circle, but also when when he manages to get forward, he just kind of drives on and. He, he adds another dimension to that team, even though he's, I think, maybe 35 now. He definitely, um, he's not there on, uh, on past, on past deeds. He's there because he's, he deserves to be there, and he's still one of the best players in the, um, in Premier division. Today, I was noticing on the news he was named officially a, a illustrious citizen of La Plata. I don't know what that entails exactly, but uh, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a high-profile citizen of La Plata. That's for sure. I, I think it's. Uh... Kind of broadly equivalent to when I don't know what they do in Australia, Dan, but like when when a citizen in Britain who does something is given the keys to the city, or whatever. Because I noticed as well that the Uruguayan World Cup squad this year were all made illustrious citizens of Montevideo, and as far as I could see, that's the the highest honour that the Uruguayan state can bestow on them. How highly Veron is now thought of in his home city. Right. I was, gonna, I was just saying that even in Australia, I don't really know what it means when somebody gets the key to the city, Dan, but. <laughs> I'm sure it's on, I don't know, free dinners or something. <laughs> I know it means, it means um, all sort of things like you can drive your sheep through the town centre <laughs> and graze your cows on the public park. So right, maybe, yeah, the maybe Veron has a head of cows and he's just itching to go and leash on the platter. <laughs> and good luck to him. Yeah, yeah it's, um, I was thinking about Veron as well because although I, I think this Estudiantes team at times gets unfairly labelled as kind of Seba Veron's Estudiantes and in fact they're much more multi-dimensional in terms of what he did for the club as we've mentioned uh, a week or two ago you know he's, he's almost funded the club when they've had times of financial difficulty while he's been in Europe he's been sending money home and everything and so it's always I know that Estudiantes are uh, kind of a uh, nobody likes us and we don't care kind of team in Argentina but I've not minded watching them at all for the last four years or so and I think they've been the most consistent as well in that period of time so I, I like seeing them win much as I don't like them too much. I like the way that they're set up, as Fran said. Verón was saying after the after the game, directly after the game the other day, that this is he pointed out this is a this is a golden era for for Estudiantes in the last five years since he's come back. They've won they've won two titles and the Copa Libertadores. Yeah, and they'll probably in with a good shot of winning the Libertadores again next yeah. year. So yeah, and he's right. And two titles in four four and a half years doesn't sound like very much, especially with the short championships. But it's worth pointing out as well that until the end of the the Clausura 2009, so up until six months ago, the last eight short championships have been won by eight different clubs. Um, 
So it's still the Antes are the first ones to to repeat the title in that time. That, that record is actually going to continue because the the end of that list was the Antes. They were the one that won the first one of that list. Yeah, exactly. So now they're at the other end of the list, and it's still eight different champions in the last eight seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's very true. Um, good. Did, did anybody catch any any of the other games? I know that. Uh, in the penultimate weekend, although obviously it came after Independiente Sudamericana when Godoy Cruz against Racing was, was supposed to have been a cracker. Obviously, I was on the plane at the time. But, Dan, I, I gather you watched that, English Dan? I was watching it, yeah, um, suffering all the way through because it was literally just end-to-end football. Was, was it played at the same time as the as the Sudamericana final or just before or just after? Or? Uh, yeah, yeah. half-time basically came at the Independiente kickoff. Right, so you still didn't know what was going to... God, that must have been terrible. <laughs> it was it was hard, yeah. That was a hard night for me. Maybe you should explain a bit. Um, Independiente finished champions of the Copa Sudamericano on Wednesday, which means that they managed to, I'm going to say steal, <laughs> steal the last Libertadores place for 2011, which had Racing's name <laughs> written on live But as, as a match, it was um, entertaining stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'll I'll add as well that I was um after getting home the weekend just gone we were I was talking to Australian Dan online whilst watching a stream of uh, All Boys against Godoy Cruz and it was the second match in a row that Godoy Cruz drew and which finished with probably a score of about one quarter of what the score might have been if everybody had scored their chances. Godoy were two nil up after what was it, fifteen minutes or something, and uh, all boys ended up getting an equaliser with a penalty with the last kick of the game. But in between, it was just a, a ridiculous match, wasn't it, Dan? I can't actually remember very well, though. <laughs> uh, start, I, I remember that it started off in teeming rain because when I first managed to get my stream up, it was already about ten minutes in, and you, I, I was struggling to see things on the computer screen because the camera was just covered in water. It was a horrible night in Buenos Aires. A horrible night. <laughs> Speaking of all boys, I think we talked about how they're, they're such sort of the, the the happy story of the of the championship, and everybody's kind of you know pleased to see them have, having done well. But I've I've also noticed that in, in the last few games they're they're sort of trying to somehow overturn this reputation because they've pretty much ended in blood all of the games, and they've, <laughs> they've had a red card in in every single game. And I was looking at the stat recently as well, and they 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 kind of the table of, of how would you call it like disciplinary you know, disciplinary table. They're they're at the top of that one or at the bottom, I guess. A lot of yellow cards, a lot of red cards. So I guess they're not too comfortable with the, you know, the fairy tale team sort of tag. They prefer to be the bad boys. They don't take any crap. No, I like that. <laughs> yeah, you've you, mentioning that actually has just reminded me as well. Obviously, I missed most of the the 18th round because it was played whilst I was on the on the plane home. But I, I only realised once I was uh, looking at all of the the match stats when the when the round finished that that particular round there was something like there were nine games played because of course Estudiantes against uh, sorry Independiente against Tigre has to be played sometime early next year probably in January or February so there were only nine matches but in those nine matches there were six red cards (laughs) what on earth happened were the referees all told to crack down on players breathing through their noses or something I think it's the hot weather that people are, are just sort of you know just like when you're walking around the streets of Buenos Aires as soon as like the first hot days of summer start People just start going crazy, and they start, like, you know, getting road rage incidents, and people almost starting fights on the street all the time. And uh, I, I guess it's related it to that. Very somehow. much like walking the streets of Buenos Aires at any time of year. <laughs> yeah, but I think it, you know, with the first hot days, it's it's kind of uh, the feelings. I don't know, boil over somewhat. And I think the same thing is happening with the, 
with, with the football team. That's my theory, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> kind of naughty school children who are a bit excited to try and get off on holiday early. The, the, the other yeah, thing that's like just that. occurred to Maybe me, actually, want... whilst I was saying that, was that uh, if you get sent off in the penultimate round, of course, you're suspended for the last match. So that actually might have been the thinking for some of them. Get a longer holiday, yeah. No, I think from what I saw of the last weekend as well, um, one thing that we probably should mention, I don't think he's any of our favourite players out of the foreseen guests we have here, but uh, Martin Palermo scoring his 300th goal. <laughs> oh, that's very true, yeah. Um, I happened to see the goal and it wasn't really any surprises. It wasn't a particularly, it wasn't a Martinez 50-yard run, beating seven players. He, um, he got put on his head in the middle of the area and he headed home from six yards and then fell out. I think it was about three yards where he headed. About home. three yards, sorry. <laughs> it was very nicely set up, I have to say. Yeah. Well, I, like, I liked what the commentators were saying because they were, they, it was the, the young Araujo, the, the new Boca product is supposed to be pretty good. <laughs> and the commentators were saying after the goal that, well, it looks like Araujo is going to be the, the new Palacio, the new um, Baros Celoto, who's, who's going to be setting up, you know, hundreds of goals for, for Palermo. And I was just thinking, yeah, I can imagine Palermo playing another 10 years and these, these young, talented players are coming through and setting up goals for him and he's just standing there on the, on the three-yard line heading them in. <laughs> he doesn't even have to move. That's just, just what yeah. he does. Yeah, I have a kind of a, a daydream sometimes of when he dies, they're just going to stick a broomstick up his ass so that he's still standing up straight nail his feet to the penalty spot and just try and pelt balls towards him all the time from the touchlines. <laughs> He'd score more goals than Rogelio Funes Mori. Probably, yeah. yeah. Even though he could be his dad. It was a, a suitably kind of cinematic celebration from him as well. He tore his shirt off and had a vest on underneath, which he'd, he himself had written 300 across. It wasn't one of these Thierry Henry kind of things when he broke the Arsenal goal-scoring record and had it nicely printed for him by Nike. Palermo just made his own. It had a, pic- a couple of pictures on there. I guess it was his. Yeah, kid. there were two photos on the front and then the number three hundred on the back. But it was. I, I just loved the fact that it looked like he'd he'd gone down to the shopping mall or something before the game and gone, yeah, can you print me one of these, please? It wasn't kind of professionally done by his sponsors or anything. And um, just in case any listeners are wondering as well, we need to point out that this is the three hundredth first team goal that Martin Palermo has scored in his career. It's not. It's not for Boca or anything, it's across his entire career. But it's a very impressive record nonetheless. I think it puts him in, in the top uh, five highest goal scorers in the Argentine league or something in, in its history. Because there's a little um, section of uh, Boca fans who have a little calendar. And every yeah. time you see they, uh, they mark off another number. It's around 225, it might be around 226, 27 or something. I know that he's scored nine of them for, nine of them for Spain and maybe somewhere around... 15 of them, I think. Sorry, nine of them for Argentina and around 15 of them whilst he was playing in the Spanish league. And the rest have obviously all been scored for Estudiantes and for, for Boca. And the fact that he started at Estudiantes also makes it very fitting that the 300th goal came against Gymnasia. Yeah, we're also his favourite team to score against. I think I was reading something today that said he scored um, a whole 15 goals. Ah, well, what, one of which, of course, was when he scored four in one game against them a few years ago. Uh, just as a little aside, um, Dondi... <laughs> Zombie is now throwing up. The, the, the dog has come upstairs and uh, just talk about the shirts remind me of um, Barra, the, the Independiente player the other day. Who I can't remember if it was in the in the cup or the, the league. He he revealed that uh, you know he did the same thing. He lifted his shirt up the and he had, he had a picture of his dog Max. Max. <laughs> I said like I love Max or something. I believe the dog was kind of sick. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. I, I, I mean it. Uh, the dog was kind of sick and um, and he healed after quite some time. And uh, it was like a whole example of what Independiente has been through uh, in these last months. That's beautiful. 
at the uh, at the middle of the year, Independiente sucked. They couldn't. Uh, can I say sucked? Yeah, they, <laughs> they they couldn't score a goal uh, in a million years. And uh, after we got a new trainer, this uh, Mohamed, uh, Independiente started playing football after after quite some time. I'll uh, point out that they did still finish. They're still last on the table. <laughs> no, they're still last. <laughs> well, well, but they did win the Copa Sudamericana. Yeah, which we'll talk about in a while. And I think the um. We need to point out to all of our non-Argentine listeners that you really need to travel to Buenos Aires and experience the love that Porteños feel for their dogs in order to to fully get the emotional power behind that little anecdote that Franz has given us. Yeah, you'll notice that if you if you walk the the narrow pathways of Buenos Aires because they're absolutely covered in dog shit. Uh, yeah, it's 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 not pleasant. Were there, were there any other teams, guys, during the Apertura who either particularly impressed or particularly depressed you? Obviously, all boys and Godoy Cruz are probably the two main ones who spring to mind in terms of the, the former. I think it's also worth uh, mentioning Arsenal. I mean, I know they drifted a little bit under the radar of many people, but they finished third in the uh, Apertura this year, which is their best ever finish in the league. And they played some nice stuff. They had um, Luciano Leguizamon, who just put in a lot of goals. And Lisandro Lopez, who played at centre-back, who got a lot of admirers. I think he's only 21. Did very well. So they've got they've got a good future they like to bring players up they get some good youth players coming through and even though they don't have any fans I don't think I've ever met anyone who confesses to being, a, being an Arsenal fan they, yeah, they seem to that's a small team doing okay. that is a small that team that is a small team a friend of ours Joel Richards and I, I was talking about it, or he pointed out in one of his articles I think um, Arsenal for a lot of the season were, were neck and neck with these Estudiantes uh, and Veles they were just behind or, or level I can't remember but uh, you would read the, the paper on, on Monday morning, Ole, the, the Sports Daily, and there would be about uh, 75 words about Arsenal. You'd have like five pages of Boca, five pages of River, talk about Vélez, talk about Estudiantes, and then like a little tiny column about Arsenal, who were at the time top of the table. Just about. So that, that's how much. Well, three or four years ago, Arsenal won the South America. Right, as well. Uh, nobody knows that. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, as for disappointments, Colón probably were the biggest appointment disappointments for me. I thought going into the season they could really have a, a good year. Like they had Mohamed at the helm who's one of the best young managers in Argentina. They got Michi Fuerte still going strong up front. They brought in Federico Higuain and Damian Diaz like up front as well and it just didn't happen for them and I'm not really sure why. And I think they ended up maybe fourteenth, fifteenth. I've, I've got the league up here they they were tenth. But I was I was going to suggest them as well, actually, because as we said last week, they normally have such a reputation for being incredible at home. And it just seemed to fall away this, this year. It was it was really strange watching them at home. It wasn't like watching Colón at all. I'm going to say um, Boca has been pretty disappointing, haven't they? I mean, yeah. all the, a lot of the attention this year has been on, on River because they were, it was more due to previous seasons where they have a really bad uh, points average and there's a risk that they're, you know, they're going to be battling relegation. But if you look at this, uh, we don't have the, the table up in front of us. I don't know where Boca finished. but Boca were at that All in all, 11th. Yeah. They've had a pretty terrible season, and they're going to be losing a lot of points now going into the, the next year. Uh, and they're going to be the ones seriously thinking about relegation unless they kind of get their act together. Yeah, they're going to lose 61 points from the 2008-9 season at the end of this year. And they finished on 25 points for, for the Apertura. So unless they improve on that considerably, they're going to be... I mean, they're not going to be as badly off as... You know, they're not going to be quite as badly off as River were when they lost the, the championship points from three seasons ago at the start of this season. But they're still not going to be very good at all. Yeah, to be honest, Boca just needs to write off 2010 as a complete disaster. It, 
it started off badly for him when uh, Basili and Bianchi both walked out about five minutes before the first game, <laughs> and mm. it got worse and worse from there. So they just need, yeah, they need to start fresh in 2011 if they can. It looks like uh, Falcioni, who was the was the Banfield coach, still is at the moment. He's going to be taken over at the Bombonera, according to all reports at the moment. So yeah, they need to just see what they can do for their Clausura and just try and try and salvage something from the season in 2011. Yeah, agreed. And I, I think Riquelme's fitness is going to be um, a, a major issue again because I very much doubt they'll sign anybody to do that job. And I think they're still going to keep all of their eggs in that one basket. Obviously, from the financial point of view, they're very lucky that I can't remember whether we mentioned this already, but he's actually, having only played one and a half matches of the Apertura, he's agreed to, well, actually, I think he offered to give all of the wages back that he claimed for those first six months of his massive new contract. But unless they do, unless Falcioni does see the see sense and decide to bring in another playmaker, it's going to be hard for them to turn it round for me. I think he will actually. Uh, the rumour is at the moment that he's going to bring in uh, Water Red Beatty. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Which would be a very good move, actually. Because the two can play together, I believe. Like, they're not too similar that they can play together if yeah. and when. And of, and of course, Falcioni knows Erbiti very well because Erbiti is the, the playmaker at Banfield at the moment. He he got a goal in a losing cause the other day when uh, Banfield lost 2-1 to San Lorenzo. But Erbiti has had a superb season. And again, going back to the treatment that, that good team, big teams and, and little teams get, Erbiti is the perfect kind of exemplar of that for me because all of the attention from the Enganche point of view this season has been on on your own down Gio Moreno and yet Erbiti has been in, in, in terms of the, the number of points that he won in Grand Dete which is the Argentine fantasy football which obviously you get points for goals and points for assists and everything I think he ended up winning more points than Moreno did and no I, I can't remember seeing him on the front page of Ole at any point you know obviously Banfield being a much smaller club than Racing I'm, I'm not denying that Moreno was brilliant as well but Eriti for me has been the kind of quiet man of the championship really yeah it's true I mean Eriti is a very good player like obviously with the Grand Dite if he finished above Moreno you can you can prove anything with statistics and comments. But <laughs> Oh yeah, and, and I mean it, it does speak volumes as well that he was the enganche in, in the team that ended up finishing fifteenth in in the Apertura and obviously Moreno was the, the enganche for the team who ended up finishing sixth and who won twice the number of games that Banfield won. But my, all, all I'm saying is that I think Eriti would be an ideal kind of playmaker for Boca in the situation that they're in. Oh completely, yeah. He deserves a chance at one of the big clubs. Funny enough I um met Eriti on Friday. Oh really? Yeah, I went down to uh, the Banfield training ground with a Mexican friend who's a fanatic of uh, Monterrey, mm. who actually played for of course, five yeah. years. And he got some interesting insights. Apparently, he never ate Mexican food. <laughs> he um, would only eat Argentine food, pizza, pasta, asado, like, wouldn't touch um, any tacos. Oh, he's missing out. Yeah, he's missing out. But, yeah, kind of a very nice guy, very down-to-earth, very nice um, blacked-out Mercedes. Um, <laughs> but, no, he's, like, just comes across as a very humble guy, like, plays for the team likes to feed in others and he was now he's um, very important when they won the 2009 Apertura and deserves, yeah he deserves to get the chance at a big club yeah I, I would agree and I think in terms of my, my thoughts on the season I was most impressed with all boys just because for a newly promoted club to come up and do such a consistent job as they did they did superbly and the disappointment it's kind of hard to pick one out actually but I'm really sorry Fran but I have to go with Independiente purely on the league of course the, the Sudamericana is another thing but I mean you, you have a game to go which is at home to Tigre which being as Tigre are really also not much good I think Independiente can more than 
are more than capable of winning that. But if, if they were to win it, then they would have finished with three wins for the campaign, which for one of the, the grandness, I mean, okay, River finished bottom the season after we won the championship, which was, what, three years, maybe two years ago. Uh, we finished bottom six months later. But even Boca who were terrible in the last campaign, only finished second or third bottom. It, and it's kind of a, a recurring theme at the moment. You know, one of the big five is all, always seeming to, to finish somewhere down in the bottom five places, as, as much as the top five places currently are built by River and then four other teams who are not members of the big five, Estudiantes, Verdes, Arsenal and Godoy Cruz. You know, it makes you wonder whether what next season, is it going to be San Lorenzo or Boca who end up finishing way down the table or what? I just did want to ask Fran, uh, I don't know if now's the time to talk about it, but um, yeah, if, I, I'm sure if we get into transfers and everything, it's all very, very speculative at this stage, but I just did just want to ask about Independiente next year because you're going to be in the Copa Libertadores, mm. but also you're going to be worried about... Uh, getting into the relegation zone with, with points. So you're going to need like quite a quite a deep squad. I heard some names mentioned about bringing in uh, reinforcements. Supposedly, Aymar is ready to come back to Argentina and River are claiming that he's most interested in going to River, but I've, I've heard Independiente linked with him as well, or Herman oh. Dennis, or people like this. Uh, I haven't heard that about Aymar. I've heard that maybe Milito may come next year. If Milito is listening to this program, <laughs> I'd like to beg him to come back to Independiente. We definitely need him. Okay, so this is Gabriel Milito we're talking about. Then. And if you want to have a word with Diego, <laughs> that would be a uh, turn no, for the books. The problem with Independiente is the same problem we have uh, since our former president is in, in charge of, of the administration of the club. We started building the new stadium. We couldn't finish that. We wanted to make a good team. We, 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 we couldn't do that. He started doing many things, but he can never finish them. And that's... Uh, big thing nowadays. Independiente should focus on one target only and not try to reach every everything that we ever wanted to do. I, I think we should focus on finishing our stadium, which is lousy the way it looks. It misses a uh, um, whole uh, part of it. And we'll... Yeah, one, one of the stands has not yet been completed. Yeah, yeah. One of the stands is missing and, and, and that's uh, that's quite important, at, at least to, to to the plans of, of Independiente. Uh, and for next year, we need we need some players. We're going to be playing Copa Libertadores, and we're going to need uh, at least uh, 30 points next next tournament to get rid of this uh, average trouble we have of, of going to second division. Anyway, Independiente is on top of all the other uh, five big teams. We have uh, Boca, River, Racing, and San Lorenzo below in this uh, really. average for, for next year. So... Uh, Racing are above, I believe, now. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I, I, I just had a word about it with a, a friend from from where I work. I was, uh, I was talking to another Independiente fan, and he, he said like he thinks the best like they're gonna need to sell players. He, he said he basically you've got three uh, first choice goalkeepers. We have three goalkeepers. Yeah. Uh, sell some more players and then bring in like reinforcements is, is gonna be the strategy, I guess. Yeah, we need someone to score goals. We we're missing that. Silvera, which is our uh, star player. It's kind of old, and he's ready to retire. Uh, he's a great player. He plays very well. He's a top scorer. I'm trying to remember the name of the the young uh, forward. Is it Patricio Rodriguez? Patricio Patito. Yeah. Do you think that he's going to be capable of of coming in and um and stepping up where where Silvera is going to be eventually kind of easing out of the picture? Well, there are many many uh, good young players in Independiente, but you can't win Copa Libertadores with with those kids. You need some uh, real players, experienced players, 
ready to play some difficult matches. If, if, you're, mm. if you're planning to win Libertadores, you need to, to go to Brazil a few times and win there, and that's kind of tough. So you want them to focus on winning the Copa in, in, during the class order? Well, winning the Copa would be great, especially because Independiente, Independiente is known as the Rey de Copas, which is like the king of the Copes. Yeah. We have uh, seven Copa Libertadores. But the thing is that I'm 23 years old and I never saw one of those. <laughs> my, my, my dad saw, saw all of them, but uh, I, I'd like to see at least one of them. In the mm. won a lot of a lot of Libertadores and other international tournaments, but that was that was quite some time ago, and we need to get back in the international. Mo- moving on, very smoothly done, if accidentally, by the way. M- moving on to to an international cup that you have seen them win. What was it like being in the Doble Vicera on on Wednesday night? It was crazy. Uh, I want to ask you a question. Did, did you cry? Uh, almost. <laughs> uh, I fell down from where I was standing and I got hurt. Oh, you fell? Yeah. I think it healed already, but yeah, it's kind of bloody. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. The thing is that since our stadium is not completely finished, uh, many people uh, couldn't get inside the, the, the stadium to see the match, and that sucked for a lot of people. I could get there because I, I, I was really lucky. I could get a ticket on the on the last minute. But uh, if, if, I, if I was an independentist president, I, I would have rented a bigger stadium in order to everybody uh, go there. But yes, it was a, a beautiful experience. It was very nice. And, and how was the game? It, it was it was dramatic, wasn't it? Because Goyash won 2-0 in the first leg. And of course, Independiente ended up winning 3-1 and, and winning on penalties. But what was the sense from the stand about the way that the game went with each of the goals? Well, the first part was uh, very nice. We, we kind of enjoyed that part. Uh, Independiente scored three goals, as you said. Goyash scored one. But Independiente was playing very well. The second part was a, a completely different story. And uh, the extra time, that was uh, pure suffering. I, I couldn't wait till the, the penalty shots. When I was there, I, I, I was saying to this friend of mine I went with, uh, if we get to the penalty shots, we are the champions. I have no doubt of that. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought really. the same thing. I'm not so happy about it. But, <laughs> but we, we had a, a couple of situations against on the extra time, which were really, really suffering. I'd like to point out as well, I remember my... my bizarre uh, prediction a few weeks ago before the Copa, um, which you guys laughed at me. Um, <laughs> it was actually almost right, because I, I said I said 1-0 uh, to Goyas in Brazil and 3-1 uh, to Independiente at home. So oh, really? it ended up being 2-0 and, and 3-1, so not far completely off, baseless and not... not <laughs> oh, but thank you. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no yeah, that was the prediction that I mocked you for, because I said that proper pundits never try and predict exact scores, Down, <laughs> but well done. Well, technically, if, if, I, if you had bet on it, as I told you, you still would have well, lost. Uh, yeah, I, I was wondering why, whether, Fran, uh, you think that there's a reason in particular that that the league campaign and the campaign in the Sudamericana were so completely opposite from each other um, during the season because they were playing the games that, you know, during the same half of the season, it was the same team playing the games and yet they seemed to be a completely different team in, in the Sudamericana. And although the Sudamericana is, is not the Copa Libertadores, you know, you beat good teams, you beat Liga de Quito in the semi-final, they're, they're no pushovers. Yeah, the thing is, uh, Independiente has very few players. They definitely couldn't play both tournaments and, and have uh, good performances in both. If I had to choose, I, I would have uh, preferred to win Sudamericana. But uh, we, we need to focus on, on the local tournament for next year. 
because otherwise we, we're gonna have problems with with uh, going to second division. The reason why we, we did pretty different in, in both is that in the local tournament we had like a, a B team, no, not the, the the complete structure of the, the team that plays with Americana. Uh, we had different goalkeeper, we have a uh, different uh, defendants, midfield players. It, it was a completely different team. The way I see it, if, if we had the, the, the same quality of players in both tournaments, uh, we, we would have done much better. Mm. But uh, unfortunately, it was like that. One thing I was disappointed about in the Sudamericana final was um, I was reading on the, in the Argentinian previews before the game, it's uh, the, the striker for, for Guayas. Do you guys remember his name? The, uh, Mora. Rafael Mora. Mora. Um, they called He-Man. He-Man, yeah. Like, there's there all this stuff about him being called He-Man because he's like this kind of big muscular guy with like shoulder length blonde hair and you know quite a good looking guy and stuff and apparently he's had this ne- uh, nickname he-man for ages and what they're saying in the argentinian press that is when he scores a goal his goal celebration is doing like by the power of grace goals <laughs> so i was really excited to see this uh, and he scored in both legs but he, from what i could see it wasn't really you know holding a sword aloft and saying by the, by the, maybe he said the word but like it didn't really look like it to me it was more like you know like a caca or messy <laughs> Messy like looking to God kind of thing. So uh, that was the, the biggest disappointment for me about the final. <laughs> so you'll be hoping for better goal celebrations during the Copa Libertadores, done. Not not from Goyash, of course, because they very much won't be in it. Well, that's another funny point is that, as we said earlier, that uh, Independiente finished probably last or one of the last places in the Argentine League, and um, Goyash were relegated. And those were the two teams in the final of the, of the Sudamericana, which kind of yeah, but the the thing about uh, Sudamericana, what what makes Independiente a good champion, is that uh, first we beat Argentinos, which is uh, last champion, then uh, Defensor Sporting, which is uh, the Uruguayan champion. After that, Tolima, which is the second team in Colombia, and then uh, well, it's not over yet. And then uh, Liga de Quito, which uh, was the last Sudamericana champion. So uh, we beat it some good teams. It's a shame that the, the final was against uh, a second division team, Goyas. But well, Goyas beat it Palmeiras, so what can I say? A very good defense of the competition, and uh, like Fran, very moving. And a big opinion. I think now we'll we'll play a little bit of uh, of our lovely theme music, and then we'll be back afterwards to talk about well, to to go through our mailbag actually, and uh, to pick out some of the correspondence we've had over the last few days. Okay, unfortunately, um, in this electronic age, I don't have any very nice bits of paper that I can shuffle and give you a sound effect or anything. But we have had some posts coming into the the, the mailbag at Hand of Pod. Um, the first thing that we're going to look through um, is a question from Ben Shave, who's one of my Argentines Abroad contributors on Astel Siempre, who writes about Portugal for us. And he says that um, apparently one of Racing's players, José Luis Fernández, has been linked with a move to Benfica during the European winter transfer window. And can we talk about him for a bit? Unfortunately, of course, we happen to have a, an in-house Racing fan who's seen quite a lot of 
Fernandes this season. So, Dan, I thought I'd throw this one over to you, English, Dan. Well, thank you, Sam. Yeah, I've got to say, Fernandes is one of these players who's really impressed me since he came into the team. He was injured for a long time, I think, through 2008-2009 after he came into the scene. He's about 23 now, I believe. And he came in into the first team midway through their collapse order 2010 when dressing really weren't looking very impressive. Uh, relegation was a problem. We just sacked uh, Claudio Vivas and also had just come in. And Fernandez really helped to stabilise us down the left wing. He's an out-and-out left winger. Probably you call him more a carrilero here, which is, you know, a mix of a left midfielder. And the best thing about him, the biggest trait he's got is he never stops running. He's a real trier. He won't show out of a tackle, which is not always the case for some of the more talented players here. And he just really impresses me. He's got a lovely left foot. He's a big fan. He likes to it past his marker and uh, steam through. And also, you know, he's not afraid of barging, uh, barging the ball back out of the way, getting to the dialer. You know, doing the dirty stuff as well when he needs to. No, I can't wait him hard enough. Excellent. We, we've, I, I've just remembered, actually, while you were talking as well, we have had another question from Twitter this evening from uh, from the Gib Football Show, which is another very good podcast, um, asking whether they think that there are any players who we think... Um, sorry, whether we think that there are any players who are going to leave Estudiantes between now and the beginning of the Clausura. But are there any names who you guys think might be maybe moving on to Europe during during the winter break or possibly to Mexico or whatever? I mean, for me, I would say Enzo Perez is definitely a possibility because he had an excellent apertura. For me, the player of the season, I think I might have said it in earlier weeks. But How old is he? About 23. 23, yeah. And, but to be honest, I think I'd be very surprised if a lot of people left Estudiantes because they're going to be fighting the, the Copa Libertadores and obviously they'll probably all be up there looking for the league again. So I think as far as they can, unless a very, very good offer comes in, they'll be wanting to keep the base of their team as is. I can't see a lot of people going away from the Studiantes. Uh, the defender, uh, now that I think about the defender, Fernandez, is a, he's had a very good year as well. Yeah. Um, uh, he's one of the players in the local Selección, which we'll be talking about in a minute. Okay. Um, um, no, but, sorry, Dan, I wasn't uh, stopping you there. I was just interjecting. But do keep talking. <laughs> yeah, no, he just popped into my head as one of the the younger players who who will, will obviously be moving on, moving along at, at some stage. Yeah. I don't know if he will stick around for another year or so. But uh, if I was looking to buy a, a good Argentine defender at the European club, uh, he'd definitely be a good one. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of cheating by looking at the local national side as well. And um, Marcos Rojo is the other Estudiantes yeah. player has been called up. It wouldn't surprise me that because I think he was linked with a couple of um, maybe Spanish or English clubs uh, during the European summer. Um, but by and large, I think Estudiantes have been very good. The, the reason they've been so consistent over the last four years has been that they've been really good at keeping their, their core, their really key players together. Um, so I don't think that they'll necessarily um, leave out too much. Um, but obviously those last two players that the Australian Dan and I mentioned bring us quite nicely into the the final question from the correspondence, which is which will be taking the longest time over, I think. And it's whether we can talk about two of the brilliant and very wise ideas that the Argentine Football Association has had under new manager Sergio Batista for the national team, which are, they're linked and they're to have two kind of two less than first choice, let's say, Argentine national sides, one of which is made up entirely of players in the Argentine league which is referred to as the local 
selection. And the other is going to be like a B team of European-based players, which essentially strikes me as a way of saying to these players, you're not quite good enough for the national team yet, or possibly ever, uh, but come and train anyway and, and we'll take you away from your clubs and probably annoy some of the clubs quite a bit as well. But we've actually got the the first under Batista squad list for the for the local national side, and we've we've all got copies of it in front of us at the moment. So guys, I was just wondering what you thought of those. Yeah, for me, I think we were talking a little bit before we came on air, and we can't disagree much. I think by and large, the list represents the players who kind of impressed us most in the, in the Apertura. Mostly they're um, young players under 25. With Maybe a couple of examples. We don't have the ages, so I can't say definitively, but they seem to be all under 25 to me. Uh, the one that piqued our interest a little bit, we went 100% on, was uh, Lucas Viatri of Boca Juniors. Mm. It seemed that he might have got in there more because he plays for Boca and he's kind of a well-known name then purely on merit. But apart from that, we've got a few complaints about it. No, I think it's pretty much as you'd expect. Um, as you say, Viatri stands out and a similar kind of effect I suspect is, is what's got Jonathan Maidana in there because although I don't think he's been bad for River this season I'm not sure that he's been one of the best centre-backs in the league either And Yeah well I, I'm not uh, a fan of this local team either uh, Sam uh, I kind of agree with you that there's not much point to it I, I think in the case of the local team it's kind of for me it's somewhat pandering to the to the local public and, uh, and probably to the media a bit because people have a Sort of more of a connection to the to the locally based players, so it's a kind of a way of, of keeping the local media happy and the local fans happy. They they get to see the the players that they see every week in some kind of national team. We, we were sort of talking before. We can't. We're not really sure what they're going to do. Like they, they they sort of train together in a yeah. and at the moment they train weekly, I believe, all together with the with the um Celeste coaching staff. Right. Um. It's it's interesting in that it's. Yeah, as we said, it's kind of like a, a best of the local league. In that, it's just interesting to see, you know, who, who are the most highly regarded players who are playing well, the most highly regarded players in the local league. Apart from that, I think it's fairly pointless. The, on the other hand, uh, the the Europe B type team, uh, whatever they're calling it, to me, it does have some use in that they're not so much. I don't think there's so much players that aren't quite good enough for the for the national team. It's players that are in that age between. The really young up-and-comers and and these guys who are already well established in the team, guys I don't know like Zarate. Um, I think uh, Lisandro Lopez is another one. Uh, Franco Zuccolini. Zuccolini, yeah. And also, for me, it's kind of a compromise. What I said when Batista first came in was that I would like to see him establish a defense of a bunch of young guys who are going to be playing together. Um, I would get rid of like these guys like Demi Cheles and and Heinze and because uh, I don't think they're very good. Firstly and secondly, um, I think he needs to establish a sort of a back four, back five, including the goalkeeper, who are going to be at the next World Cup. In a way, I think this team is, is some kind of compromise on that. Um, some of these young defenders in Europe, who for whatever reason they're not going to play in the in the Copa America next year, they're going to go with these older guys. But it would be good to sort of establish them as playing together and getting them used to playing with each other with 2014 in mind. Uh, that's the only, that's the good thing I can see about the, the European team. I agree on the good points, but I, t- t- two things that I think, uh, I mean, first of all, if you have 
and you mentioned the defence. I mean, for instance, if they've decided that, say, Federico Fascio is is going to be good enough, or they'd like him to be good enough by the time of the next World Cup to to be slotting into the centre back position there, then take him along to the Copa America with the, with the more senior players and maybe give him a game in the group stage or whatever and, and see how he gets on there in the heat of actually playing with the main national side. But the, the other main problem for me is, I mean, the, the, I can't see that, that Europe B, if, uh, if we can put it like that, are going to play many, if any, friendlies because on FIFA specified dates when clubs have to give up their players for friendlies, the main Argentine national team will be doing them. And if all they're going to be doing is flying them to Madrid or to Milan or London or wherever to train once every couple of months, and one of these players ends up injuring one of his teammates in training, then the AFA are going to have to pay out you know, compensation to the European club. And obviously this is something that we get far more talk of in, in Europe with what used to be the G14, but is now the European Football Clubs Conference Congress or whatever of 90-odd clubs, whatever it's called you know, swinging their weight about and stuff. And I'm, I, I can't really exactly see what the point of the, the European B team is because they're not going to play as far as I can see. They're just going to train and there's too much risk to it for me. Yeah, I guess in theory they, they would play, but yeah, logistically, I, I don't see how it works. I, I like the idea of it. I like the idea of getting these young guys playing together and establishing kind of a system, getting them used to playing with each other, but... At the moment, it's a nice idea, but they still need to do a lot of work on it to see how it's going to work practically. The other idea was also kind of related was to have a, sort of a, a full-time coach in Madrid or, or, or Rome. Uh, Batistuta, I think, was mentioned as one of the names. Uh, and the other idea with, with having that sort of base in, in Europe was to make sure that no kind of messies slip through the cracks, as in these young guys who, who go, when they're really young, they go to Europe. And... Um, yeah, they might end up playing for another national team. Yeah, or... they get called up to, to to play for whoever, France or Spain or somebody. And uh, that was one of the ideas, is to make sure that none of these guys slip through the cracks and keep an eye on all these young up and guys coming through the, the European academies. Yeah, on, on that note, actually, I've, I've just thought it's not actually entirely related to, um, to the European team or the local team. Um, in fact, it's in no way related to either of them, but it is related to what you just said, Dan. Um, I'm going to be interested for Argentina's next friendly to see whether Dario Conca is called up or not. I don't know whether either of you saw, but he, he's just been awarded the Player of the Year award in Brazil. He, he's a playmaker and he's just he used to be in Rivers Academy, but they let him go. And he moved to Fluminense and has just won the title there with them. And there is talk, Sergio Batista said that he's considering calling him up. And then just a few days ago, I was having a look on a couple of websites and found that the uh, apparently there's talk in Brazil of him being called up to the Brazilian national team because he's got residency there. And he would be the first ever non-Brazilian to play for Brazil if that happened. For him to be Argentine and playing for Brazil would be astonishing. Having said that, of course, particularly in Europe where they're much further away and um, the Argentine Football Association don't exactly have all-seeing eyes, um, I think that the idea at least of having somebody, some kind of ambassador based in Madrid or wherever it is, it is a good idea. But as I say, the European B team, um, I'm, I'm not so sure about. But I, I do wonder what our resident Argentine, Fran, uh, makes of this, particularly the local selection, uh, but also Europe, if you, if you want to comment on the European side, Fran. Uh, I'm afraid last, last uh, World Cup, uh, Argentina did 
pretty bad and uh, it's going to take a lot of time to make people get interested in the national team again. Uh, last June I, I've been to Rio de Janeiro and I got to the Maracanã to see a football match. I saw Fluminense playing Cruzeiro and uh, Conca is like a big star there. Everybody loves him. Oh yeah. He's, he's like the top scorer of the team and uh, I, don't know, I, I, I believe he's the, the, the bigger player there. So I think it's okay. We have many, many players. The, the problem with the national team is not the, the quantity of players, nor, nor the quality. It's the, the need to have a good coach that's capable to, to sum up all that and, and make them play together. And do you think the, this local selection is necessary? Is it necessary to have these guys nah. meeting and training in Ezeiza? It's okay. Maradona had a, a, an enormous uh, list of, of local players. Uh, and that didn't help much. Uh, <laughs> I think that they, they do that just in order to raise their price, to make them play in Europe next year. And so if you play in the national team, you'll be more expensive and they play oh, more for you. Okay. It definitely puts a couple of hundred thousand euros, I think, on the price tag if you've got some, some Argentina caps behind you. Well, we saw Garcia playing for the national <laughs> team last World Cup. Right. Can any of you explain me why? Uh, <laughs> we didn't actually see no, the play. Didn't didn't it, yeah. Yeah. Well, he went there. It's much yeah. more than he could ever dream. Apparently, he did a great job at bringing the um, Alfa Cortes. <laughs> yeah, he was he was the lucky charm for the team, wasn't he? Do you, Fran, do you think that uh, as an Argentine that, that Conca would accept a call-up from Brazil if he was given one? I think uh, before Conca, we have many other players in that position. But so did Brazil, or, or you would think? If I was Conca, I would take it. I would play for Brazil. Really? Yeah, definitely. I, 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 don't see him, I don't see him playing for the Argentinian team. No, you, you'd have about 15 Engantes before yeah. Conca, right? Yeah, sure. Who are you taking off? Messi, Tevez, Aguero? Oh, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe just uh, calling him up for one friendly to make sure that Brazil can't get him in the future. <laughs> That's definitely possible. I'm yeah. devious like that. Kind of demeaning, wouldn't it be for, for Brazil to, to choose an Argentine player? Maybe they'd, they'd, they'd be happy for, for him to, to get called up to Brazil. I don't think it would happen. To be honest, Like I work as well a lot with the Brazilian leagues, I cover them. And the sense I get is they would never pick an Argentine. Even though I think a lot of the, a lot of the calls are coming just from uh, Fluminense fans. As in the country as a whole, I'd be yeah very surprised if they accept it. Um, on this note, I think we've almost... Uh, completed our time now if, if not gone slightly over what we normally aim for but as it is the last podcast of 2010 just wanted to ask you guys for your favorite football related uh, memories of the last 12 months whether obviously trying to stick to the Argentine league or national side or whatever any particularly good ones bad ones or whatever I don't have uh, a very good uh, long-term memory so like the last last game I went to was the uh was the River Estudiantes game. But as I said before, I really do think that's a, that was a good kind of symbol of, of how the league is at the moment with, with uh, these kind of upstart teams just lording over the, the so-called grandes. So for me, that was probably one of the highlights. Um, we always mention at the game, uh, we all went to the, the All Boys Estudiantes to kind of just to see the atmosphere in that place with the, the All Boys fans uh, just loving every minute of being in the Primera. Um, seeing a brilliant goal from Estudiantes, you're seeing Verón and Braña and these guys um, just put it together for, for a beautiful goal and, and a lovely goal from all boys as well. And then apart from that, uh, one thing I enjoyed uh, was seeing like Messi's profile go up in Argentina. Um, even during the World Cup, I mean, there are people, not necessarily here, but 
you hear comments that Messi didn't have a World Cup, which is rubbish. Uh, he, he played a very good World Cup. He, he did, was pretty unlucky enough to score. And I think during the World Cup, even a little bit before that and ever since, he, his profile has really uh, been raised in, in Argentina. I think I, I mentioned it in a previous podcast. Um, and, and then with his goal against Brazil, that was, was fantastic and that's going to do no harm at all. But just seeing him kind of accepted as, as the next, great hope of Argentine football was one of the highlights for me as well. I think for me, um, being a Racing fan, I'm going to be completely subjective here. Um, we had two wonderful afternoons in uh, Bombonera away to Boca Juniors. In both games, we went a goal down and came back to win 2-1. And it was both times in the away end, you know, taunt in uh, Bosteros. It was a complete party, a brilliant atmosphere. And I think those two games stand out above the others for me. Well, I don't need to say what what my uh, top moment of the year uh, is. I, I clearly choose uh, winning Sudamericana last week. Uh, and also beating Racing in the Derby. <laughs> <laughs> what, were your, what were your highlights? Uh, well, for me, it was, uh, aside from just getting out to Buenos Aires, which I've been planning on doing for such a long time, it, it was, you mentioned, Dan, um, the penultimate game of the, the team who've just won the, this championship. And for me, it was the last two matches of the team who won the, the Torneo Clausura. Argentinos Juniors, who in the 18th round, when still nobody was really looking at them as championship contenders, played an absolutely incredible match against Independiente won 4-3 after being 3-1 down with kind of 20 minutes to play and 3-2 down going into stoppage time, which I was lucky enough to be at. And then after that, my friend Johnny and I decided that having seen such a great game, there was no way that we couldn't then try and get get in to watch them win the league. And so the following weekend, we went down to Huracan Stadium without tickets and managed to get smuggled in by a couple of <laughs> Argentinos members. So we were in the away end when Argentinos won their first league championship in how long, 24, 25 years or something. And it was just incredible. The atmosphere was absolutely amazing. So for me, it was those, without a shadow of a doubt. It was kind of helped to sum up everything that I came down here for. On that note, we're going to say goodbye now for 2010. Uh, the first Tandapod podcast of 2011 will be up ooh, probably kind of mid to late January. So from now, it's it's goodbye from all of us and have a very, if you celebrate Christmas, then have a very good Christmas and a happy new year. And we'll see you in the new year. Goodbye from me here in very cold, dark, wet, snowy England. And goodbye from the boys and the dogs over in Buenos Aires. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. And, and thanks to everybody for, thank for listening. And thank you also to our guest, Fran. You're welcome. Anytime. <laughs>